A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week, we're talking to Sam Lloyd. He's just released his debut thriller. It's called The Memory Wood. It's all about Alyssa, who is abducted and hidden in the woods, and all about the boy Elijah, who finds her but won't let her escape. Now, we talk about how he had the idea for the story while he was bored for a whole day at school with his son. Also, we learn how the story actually forced him to switch genre. And we talk about why sometimes he thinks about mixing it all up and how that might actually help with his writing. I remember once when I thought to myself, you know, maybe, maybe I need to get a new, completely new perspective. And I took myself off to another part of the house. And I think I might have even sat under my son's desk for five minutes with my laptop tucked away. And after about five minutes, I thought to myself, you're in your early 40s, you're sitting under your son's <laughs> desk. Come on, get a grip. Go back downstairs and start writing again, which is what I did. So stick around, more from Sam Lloyd on the way in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes. My name is Dan Simpson. Welcome along. This is Writer's Routine, uh, the show that takes you inside the working day of some of the most successful authors around to try and steal some of their scheduling secrets. Now, if you're stuck at home, just like me right now, uh, and if you finally started thinking about how you're actually going to get that book done, how how at last it's going to get out of you onto the page, well, I've got something that can really help you out with it. I've managed to sort you uh, a discount uh, for the fantastic writing software Scrivener which comes as a nice salve in these dark and desperate times. Now, if you've listened to the show for a while, uh, you'll have heard all about it. Quite a few of the authors that we do talk to rave on, and they would carry on to rave on about it until I actually had to ask them about the book that they're there to sell. Uh, It's a brilliant writing tool. It lets you plan, it lets you plot, it lets you move and research the way that you tell your stories. It's got a virtual pin board on there with colour charts and with tags so that you can keep track of characters and stories now Scrivener it was created by writers for writers the lead developer of it he had the idea for the app because he couldn't find the right software to help him with his own novel writing it takes the software tools that are used by writers everywhere and it combines them into a single package now it won't tell you how to write but it will give you everything that you need to help start writing and then keep writing now you might not actually think when you've heard us talk about Scrivener before uh, that you really need uh, help in getting a place to write your story 
But the joy I think of Scrivener is that it, it helps you out in so many different ways that you never realised you needed assistance while you are telling your stories. And now you've got a little bit of time to try it out. Uh, they've just released Scrivener 3. Uh, you can get it for under 50 quid. And with us, you can save 20%. Just use the code ROUTINE when you check out over at literatureandlatte.com. That's ROUTINE, R-O-U-T-I-N-E. Saves you 20% on Scrivener. It helps you out and it helps us out uh, at the show as well because they're supporting the show for the rest of April. Uh, It's a brilliant way to get started with it. You get 20% off. Just use the code ROUTINE, R-O-U-T-I-N-E. When you check out, you save that on Scrivener uh, and you can get it over at literatureandlatte.com. Now, this week, our guest on the show is Sam Lloyd. He's written fantasy and sci-fi before, but his first thriller is The Memory Wood. It's all about Alyssa that gets snatched at a school chess tournament. She gets hidden away. And the boy, Elijah, who finds her but won't tell anyone that she's there. Now, really, that's all you get about the plot. It's twisting, it's turning. um, But Sam, you know, he's the author. It's his right. He doesn't want to give any more away. Um, It was all I could do to get that for you, okay? All about Alyssa and Elijah. But we do unpack that in the chat. Uh, He is terrifically open about his writing day. He explains why he wants to improve his productivity and about how he's doing that, how he's managing to retrain the, the part of the brain that focuses. Also, you can hear why the story starts as a mashup of two ideas and why the boy Elijah stayed with him for quite a long time before he finally found the outlet, the story, to get his tale down. Also, I've got some news about book releases that you might have missed over the last few weeks on the way in a sec. Uh, First, though, let's get into it with Sam Lloyd, uh, starting, as always, with what he sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. I tend to write in my living room every day and the first thing I do is in the morning is drop my kids off at school and I come back and it's it's peaceful in the house and quiet apart from my dog and I sit at the dining table usually which looks out onto the garden. So you're at the dining table in your living room, why, why there? I mean a, a living room is a space that's taken over by everyone in your family you know you've got boys have you got anything that makes it yours there whilst you write or is it uh, still slightly chaos no it's chaos and we've got a small little house and we've got three boys um, in it as well so my first job usually is to clear away all the spilt milk and rice krispies from the table in the morning and try and find myself so no I don't have my own space at all I tend to sort of find a space for myself during the day and then it's chaos again at about six o'clock when everyone comes home. Talk to me about what's around it. I know, as I said, it's a family place, so it's not your space at all. Have you got anything around you that is inspirational that does help you out with your writing? Just the garden, really. I, I mean, the, the the dining table's in a little conservatory, so surrounded by glass, and I look out onto a little garden, and there's usually cats coming in from, from the next-door neighbours and squirrels, and, and that's about it. If I were to wander in there and sit down at your writing desk, at the dining table, would I have any clues to what you were writing that day? W- would, I, would I see post-it notes? Are there um, notepads sprawled around? I, you'd, you'd see a, a messy cluster of, of notebooks and pads and things like that with things scribbled on, sometimes receipts with, with names on and things like that. Basically, any time I get an idea... I try to scribble something down and those things go along with me in my pockets and just, yeah, accompany me everywhere, really. But I, I haven't got a particular system. I've got a few, I've got a few notebooks. I find that, actually, the, the, 
the type of notebook I prefer is a, a spiral-bound one, really. Okay. Um, Why is that? So just because I can lay it flat, okay. actually. I'm always in the hunt to try and find the best spiral-bound notebook. <laughs> and um, uh, How has the hunt gone so far? Uh, not very well. I just, no. I mean, the, the only trouble is I tend to tear things out of them as well. So, um, But, uh, yeah, just, just notes. Mostly everything is, is all my notes are, are handwritten. And then I actually write on a on a laptop. Well, this is very niche, very dull to some, but it's interesting to me. What do you write on? Is it Word? Is it Scrivener? What, what are you typing away at? I've got uh, a MacBook and I use Word. I used to use the, the writing, I can't remember what it's called now, Pages. I used to use that, but I used to find that editors want to see things in Word. And when I used to translate it over... I always used to have problems with italics not rendering properly no, and things okay. like that. And these days I use Word on, on the Mac. Although saying that, oh, it, it's, it's probably the one program that tends to crash on my Mac, actually. Every time I try and do a, a, find, um, a find option on it, the, the whole, the whole um, document crashes and I have to open it. So I have to be very careful yeah. with it. These are the small issues, the small problems facing writers, the hunt for the perfect notebook and finding words without your whole laptop crashing. Um, Well, listen, Sam, the show is writer's routine, so talk us through yours. You've already given us a little glimpse into the start of the day, but how does it work? The moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed on a day when you are sat down to write, what's going on? Okay, so my average day is I get up quite early now um, and try and do a little bit of editing in uh, from about six till seven until my my boys get up and my wife gets up and and then it's chaos in the house until about eight thirty when I take them to school and then I come back home and shut the front door and it's silence then until the boys come home and so that's my that's my writing time and that's my writing day and I try and be as productive as I can during those hours and take the dog out at lunchtime to try and clear my head a bit and I don't have any music on during the day. I, I have to have a complete silence when I'm writing. And and then editing I do in the evenings, usually. And I can I find I can edit in in lots of different places. For for the actual writing I need I need silence, but editing I can I can do anywhere and actually I can do that in a cafe, I can uh do it anywhere in you know, in the car as well, um if I'm a passenger. But uh, writing needs to be quiet. So you've got I'd imagine a stretch of about six hours while your boys are at school and how do you get ready for that? Are you very good at, right, it's go time now. I've dropped the boys off. I know they're going to come home at about three o'clock. So now is my time to write. It's all guns go. Or, or, or do you take a little while to find the flow? I, I have a kind of routine. I come in through the front door. I make myself a coffee. I'll check my emails. I'll check the news, see what's going on, drink my coffee. And then I'll open my document. I'll probably read... What I tend to do is read the last three or four pages I wrote the day before and do a light edit of those and so that I'm that that gets me back into where I was when I left off the day before and then as I come up to the point that I've just I just finished the day before I I then carry on through and I always try not to finish my day's writing at the end of a chapter or at the end of a particular character's viewpoint so that it's not a complete break um, because then sometimes that then takes a while to start again. So I, I like to finish in in the middle of a paragraph or even in the middle of a sentence actually, because then it's a it's a perfect jumping on point again the next day. I know that you with, with this concentrated writing time that you are forced into, as you say, uh, as you say when the kids are at school. Um, you would like to be as efficient and productive as possible. I know for writers that's not always possible. What, um, 
how does your energy tend to go throughout your day? Are you one of these people that finds, um, you know, 25 minutes on, five minutes off? Are you good at 90 minute bursts? How does that flow of the day tend to work? I think mornings are my most productive time. So I try and get as much as I possibly can done in the morning. And I would I would love to be more efficient it's distractions are the worst thing and the internet is the worst thing it really is the worst thing and i i tried i've done i've tried various things and actually you know switching off the broadband at home and that has helped actually just recently i found a piece of software that i've started to use which can completely lock you out of your um of your broadband on your laptop and also on your phone and you just literally set the remind, the, remind the name of it because I've heard a, a version of this mentioned before. Freedom, I think. It's Freedom, called. that's yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, and it completely you, you can't check anything. You can't check Twitter. You can't. You can't do anything. Um, I try to make sure that I've done any research I needed to do for particular scenes <laughs> beforehand because there has been a few times when I've locked myself out and I've suddenly realised actually for this scene I do need some some quite vital information and then I had to wait but you know that's a that's a, a small problem compared with the freedom of actually not having anything to distract me that's amazing isn't it we've got this the internet's at our fingertips now we're the most connected we've ever been yet it's the freedom to not be connected that, I, that's I, quite amazing I think I mean for the memory word the the internet allowed me to do so much research and get my hands on so much information that without it, it would have taken me months and months to do. Um, and, you know, meetings face-to-face with people to try and get that information. So it's, it's an amazing resource. But at the same time, the flip side is that it's, yeah, it's a massive distraction. So I think it, it's my main concern is to use it, use it wisely and, and stay clear of it during the writing time. I'm almost training myself back to have a longer attention span I think one of the things, well, for, for, I can only speak for myself, but for me, you know, the prevalence of all this social media and all this information now and distraction at your fingertips has actually made my ability to concentrate and my concentration span feels like it's d- decreased over the years. And what I'm really trying to do at the moment is to, to wean myself off that and really concentrate on, on, on getting back to how it, things used to be, uh, and, I, and I think that's that's vital. And so that's my that's my goal really for this year is to to really concentrate. When I've got the time, I'm I'm 100% concentrating on doing what I'm trying to do and, and trying to avoid all those distractions. When you stop your working in the evening, when you finished up your editing, how good are you at switching off from the story? It it depends where I am in the story, and actually, if at the at the start of a book then i'm i'm very much thinking about where this is going to go and um it's usually I mean, it's, it's always an exciting time because you know the, uh, there's nothing more exciting really than a, a blank piece of paper and an idea to put down on that piece of paper um and then towards the end of a book especially with the memory wood the last couple of chapters i was i felt like i was I was living more in the book than I was in the real world. And I was, I remember literally the last chapter, I felt quite emotional about the writing of it. And I, t- I took myself out in the car for a drive and had to fill up with petrol on the way home and filled up the car with unleaded, which is a diesel car, ended up breaking down on the side of the road and having to get a, a lift back to a garage from a, 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 a breakdown truck. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I think the, the closer to the end I, I get, the more I feel like I'm, you know, 
I'm, I'm in that world rather than the real world. Uh, I guess lastly on the day, it, you've mentioned going out and having a walk with your dog. Have you got any other tricks that help you when you are struggling on, on, on a certain day, when the words just aren't coming? Um, we've kind of learned on the show that writer's work really isn't a thing. Everyone's got their own little tricks of getting their way out of it. W- what do you do? I think, I think really, I forcing yourself to sit down in front of the computer and not move until you've passed that is is really what I do. I mean, I've, I remember once when I thought to myself, you know, maybe maybe I need to get a new, completely new perspective, and I took myself off to another part of the house, and I think I might have even sat under my son's desk for five minutes with my laptop tucked away, and. After about five minutes, I thought to myself, you're in your early 40s, you're sitting under your son's <laughs> desk. Come on, get a grip. Go back downstairs and start writing again, which is what I did. That's amazing, isn't it? Because in, in practice, in theory, what, what you do is so simple. You know, you, All you need is to sit at a desk, at your dining room table, as you say, with your laptop, with a word that hopefully isn't crashing that day. Yet, yet, the, the, yet the struggle to, find, to get the words coming out is always there. Um, well, look, the book's The Memory Wood. This is your debut thriller. That's right, yes. But you've written... I've written a few other things in the past, yeah. Which right, were, okay. Which had a supernatural uh, side to them. So they were kind of thrillers, but they had a supernatural edge. And this is the first, I guess, crime thriller that I've, I've written. Was it a conscious decision to move into writing a crime thriller, or was it just where the idea took you? It was purely where the idea the idea came from. You know, I, I got hit with the idea... The inspiration for the memory wood came, and I, I, the, one of the main characters is a is a twelve-year-old boy called Elijah, and he had been kind of knocking around in my head for a couple of years, really, without a story to put him into. And then when the idea for the memory wood plot came into my head, and you know, the two felt like they they came together and I just needed to write the story at that point to find out what happened. I had a I had a vague idea of how it would end. I wasn't 100% that it would end that way, but the the pleasure of writing was to to get to that destination really and and see what the characters did. And I think always the magical thing about writing and and why it's so addictive is when you're almost you're not you're not forcing the words out and you're not kind of trying to put characters into a particular scene but you're taking a back seat and actually watching them and and i you know for 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 vast amounts of writing this book i felt like i was a a witness to things happening rather than trying to pull strings you you've answered about my next half hour's worth of questions so (laughs) so we're gonna pick that apart if that's okay you mentioned that you had elijah uh this boy this young boy knocking around your head for some time where did the idea for him come from and why wouldn't he go away? I I don't know. I, I really don't know. I just had this character in my head and I, I can't, you know, ha- where he came from, I, I don't know. He's just been there f- for a while and it was the character of Alyssa, really, that is... Um, and it was when when the first idea for the book came together that I realised that he would he would need to be in it. Um, but what was it about him? So you say that you don't know why he was there, but why specifically him? Why was it not just a, a random young lad character that's kind of floating in your mind? I think the reason I'm I'm struggling to answer the question is because 
I can't talk about him very much and the reasons for him being in there because of, of what happens in the book. So if I if I answer that question too um, accurately, then then I will I will reveal lots of things in the book. That, well, that's that's a fantastic tease if you ever needed one. Well, so let's talk about the actual uh, the memory wood then. I mean, this, you know, this is hard as you've mentioned. You don't want to say too much because you don't want to give the plot away, but. Uh, we have to do some selling. Sure. <laughs> uh, so you've got Elijah knocking around your brain, and, and, and then Alyssa comes up too. Talk to me about the very the very first moment that the actual idea for the plot came into your head. What what was the moment of revelation? Okay, so to to do that, I'll have to skip back to when my son was first born, and my my wife. I think during the first months of his life was very. Um, very anxious about his 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 welfare always was thinking about um you know what what might happen to him and i think the the way she used to deal with it is she used to war game out all these potential scenarios and and how she would rescue him from them and for the first couple of weeks they they were they tended to be an everyday types of scenario like choking and things like that but over the course of weeks they started to get a bit darker <laughs> And I'd be watching TV next to her, and I'd, 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 I'd look at her, and she'd be staring off into the middle distance, and I'd say, what are you thinking about? And she'd say, I'm, I'm just imagining what would happen and what we would do if people burst through the front door now with guns and how I would protect uh, Noah, who's our, our son. And, um, and progressively, these got darker and darker. And we actually used to make a light of it. Um, and over, uh, after about two months, it, it completely disappeared, and, and it never came back. Um, but then fast forward about eight years, and he was starting to play a lot of chess at school. And he uh, got into the regional finals of this national chess tournament. And so I took him along to the day, and it was a secondary school down in Surrey. And when we arrived, we didn't know what to expect. But there were hundreds of parents and hundreds of kids around uh, at this school on a Saturday. And it was pretty, yeah, as I say, pretty chaotic and no security, not that you'd expect there would have to be any security. And the first thing we did, we had to go and find his first match and there were all these chess boards on all these trestle tables with numbers and we found his opponent and uh, who was waiting there, the parents met. And, and then when the game started, all the parents filed out. And because it was a nice day, some of us waited on the, the cricket pitch and some people went in and got coffees and things like that into the local town. And I would usually take a book with me to that kind of thing, but on that particular day I didn't. And so I was just there for the whole day with, with nothing really to entertain myself. And, and maybe because of that little seed my wife had planted all those years ago, I started thinking and looking around and thinking oh, how easy it would be actually for a determined stranger to snatch someone from this tournament if that's what they wanted. And I started thinking about it more and more. And I think by by the end of the day, I had really my my premise, and 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 I started writing very quickly after that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We've got more with Sam Lloyd in just a bit, and we'll get into some brand new book releases in a sec. First, I want to do a quick push towards our Patreon page. If you love the show, if you've heard any tips in almost 100 episodes that we've given you that have helped the way that you tell your stories, please do pledge to us and help us out over on our Patreon. Uh, It doesn't cost a lot, just a dollar or so a month. It keeps us uh, bringing these shows out to you as often as we can. It helps me buy new equipment, so that the audio is the best that it can be. Uh, when we're finally all allowed properly outside again, it'll help me buy a coffee for authors that I meet face-to-face. It helps me get to where they are. It just helps the show keep ticking over. Uh, now, I know that it's a tough time at the moment, so anything at all that you can spare is immensely gratefully received. Seriously, anything that you can send our way to help us out is amazing. You can do it over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. And now remember, if your book release has been like absolutely ruined by this lockdown, if you had such plans about the story that you've slaved over for years on end, if you had so many dreams and they've been like slightly squashed uh, because no one can actually go out to your signings and whatever, uh, well, let me know. I can do what I can. I I can give you a virtual book launch with the writing community that we've got going on on this show. I can give you a plug here. Uh, Just send it my way over on the contact form at writersroutine.com. Trevor Wood has just published his debut crime novel. It's called The Man on the Street. It's all about Jimmy, who's a homeless veteran uh, with PTSD, who sees a murder, thinks he sees a murder, and no one believes him. Now, if you love your Jack Reacher, how about this? Uh, The book has been hugely praised by Lee Child. He called it an instant classic. Now, Trevor spent ages writing the book. Uh, He's quite a late bloomer in terms of being published. And his launch event was cancelled just hours before it was meant to happen. All his signings, all his panels have gone to. So go and have a look at it online. That's the least you can do. It's called The Man on the Street, and it's by Trevor Wood. Uh, Also, I really don't want to overload this and saturate it with stories and make the books that, that I do shout out get, kind of get lost in the noise. Uh, so this will be the last one for this week. Uh, it's a psychological thriller, a timely psychological thriller. It's by Nikki Smith. It's called All In Her Head. Uh, it's all about Alison, who believes she is being stalked by her ex-husband, Jack. But then the mention of one name turns her world upside down. Uh, it's been praised by Leslie Cara and Harriet Tice, one of our favourites on the show. It's been published by Orion. It is out right now so go and have a look at it Uh, support the writing community it's called all in her head it's by nikki smith Uh, so yeah that one by nikki you've got the man on the street by trevor wood as well Uh, those are what you need to go and look at this week and remember if your book launch has been slightly rained on uh, let me help you out i'll give you a plug in the next few weeks you can tell me all about it on our contact page at writersroutine.com 
Right, let's get back to it then with Sam Lloyd, the author of his debut thriller, The Memory Wood. In this half, we chat about how much he wants to force the twists and why the characters that he's written actually often stop him from doing that. Also, why the idea pulled him in and why Elisa and Elijah kept him writing till the end. And we pick things up with what he actually knew he didn't want the story to be when he started. This would obviously kind of be an abduction story. And what I didn't want it to be was just... An, and the, the character of Alyssa is a 13-year-old girl. She's fantastic at chess. She's really bright. And I didn't want it to just be a story about a female victim who, you know, spends the, the entire book being rescued. And, and what interested me about it was this idea of, of, of power, really. So Alyssa, at the start of the book... She's she loses all her power. She's she's snatched from this tournament that she's playing at, and it's a world ranking tournament where if she wins, she'll go on to the national team, and she's doing really well. And then she is she's snatched from this tournament, dragged into a van, and sedated. And when she wakes up hours later, she's freezing cold. She's in complete darkness, and she's tethered to this metal post uh, by chain, and so she's lost all her power. But actually, when she starts, when her abductor arrives um, and she starts to understand what's happening around her, she does realise that she is by far the most intelligent of the people that she meets. And once she starts to understand that, she realises that she does have a small amount of power, her intellectual power. And that's the point that she starts using it to deceive and to manipulate those that she meets in this place beneath the memory wood. We're spending a lot of our time with with Alyssa locked to her. How are you making her believable, uh, relatable, I guess, uh, um, understandable through your words? I, so Alyssa is, she finds herself in a hideous situation and I think I wanted to make, you know, she... It would be very easy to be completely overwhelmed in that situation and completely give up. What Alyssa does is reduce everything to the abstraction of a chess game. And for a while, that's her survival mechanism. She, she, For instance, she's in darkness, so she imagines the confines of her cell, which are dictated by the length of the chain, as a chessboard. And she gives each particular space in that chessboard... Um, a, a number and then she goes and searches her cell and then later on she she decides that she may f- have find clues in what happened to her and the reason she's here in everything that led up to the, the chess tournament so she uses the the chess board as well as a kind of memory map and she tries to interrogate all of her individual memories on the lead up to this this event and try to compartmentalise them so that she doesn't forget them, and so that every every single thing she has, she finds has a value, and she's determined not to to squander it. When you're writing a story like this, that is a thriller, that as you say is an abduction story, but yet there's more at play. You, you were speaking about about power. When do you start as a writer? When do you start to get an idea of the themes of the book, and how do you? interweave those into the plot to make it to make it something that is unusual i think i've i've never wanted to i think if if a if a book kind of wears its theme too obviously 
it, it starts to become preachy. And, and I, I always, you know, at, at, I always wanted to make sure that at the end of the day, this is this is a, a story. I'm telling a story here. But but theme, to have an idea of theme loosely at the, at the, in the back of your mind can sometimes be helpful when you get to a point and you think, okay, so where am I? Where am I going at this point? And and having those, just just loose. I like to have maybe one one word or, or two words, um, which to me will 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 help keep me on track. And it might not be the same word throughout. It might be a, it might be a word for you know for, for this book, for example. The, I, I was thinking about power a lot during the the initial stages of the book. Um, and the other thing I was thinking about is is loss as well. Um, and you know, Elijah has uh, a lot of loss in his life. The detective who is investigating Alyssa's disappearance, um, loss is a, a big part of her backstory. And Alyssa, although she's focus, she's focusing completely on trying to survive this hideous episode but everybody has their limits and you know she, she will get progressively closer to her limit and at some point just surviving for her own sake won't be enough to to um uh to help her and and she tries to thinking about loss she 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 focuses very much on her mother um and her mother is. She comes from a, a sing, her mum's a single mum, and has done everything for Alyssa during her life to uh, to help her um, try and make the best of things. And Alyssa knows that actually, if the person who's taking her, you know, wins out in this situation, it's not going to be just Alyssa's life that is ruined and ended, but it's her mum's as well. And she's determined that that doesn't happen. So it's not just about. Um, uh, keeping herself alive for her own sake, but it's about making sure her mum's life isn't destroyed. You mentioned Alyssa. She thinks this. She thought that. She wanted to do this. She wanted to do that. She's a separate entity, clearly, in your mind. Is that is that consciously? Are you consciously making these decisions for Alyssa? This is how much she cares about her mum. Or, as soon as you've almost... As soon as you start writing about her, does she go off and do her own thing? Alyssa was really fascinating, and that's the thing that I really enjoyed about writing this, because at the point that I started writing, Elijah, as I said, had been knocking around in my head for years, so I, I, I felt like I knew him. Alyssa, at the point I started writing, because when, when, when the book opens, we're with Elijah, and actually the book opens on day six, so a lot of stuff has happened already, and Eli- Alyssa comes in, in in the second chapter, and at the point I started writing her, I mean, I, I loved the idea of, of plotting something out in advance. My, I, I don't tend to do that. And when I got to Alyssa's first chapter, I, you know, she, I hadn't thought about her too much, other than it was she, she, and then she just formed on the page. It was, it was, it was really interesting how it happened. And um, her personality, her, you know, her mum, the backstory, everything just seemed to just come together. And I don't know where it comes from, but I love it when that happens. <laughs> Because this person just seems to come to life. The thing that fascinated me most about the book was the and, and about the idea was was this interplay between Alyssa and Elijah. So Alyssa wakes up underground, and she when she, the first person she meets is her abductor, and when they have their initial conversation, 
she realises that he has no intention of ever letting her go. So her situation looks absolutely bleak. And then the stroke of luck in the book is when Elijah, who is a very lonely, solitary 12-year-old, is playing in his local woods and he discovers her underground cell. So she thinks, brilliant, I'm, I'm saved, urges him to go and get help. And, however, he, he thinks he's just found his first true friend and he knows that if he does do as she asks and go and get the police, then he'll lose her. So the that part of the book is, is the thing that introduced... In, excited me most really this idea that on the surface they're friends but they're both playing this game of deception against each other because she realizes quite quickly that her only chance of survival is to keep elijah on side and make a friend of him but then deceive him into helping her because clearly he's not going to do that without being pushed and i think because of the because of i knew some of the things that were going to be coming up i, I had to tell elijah's story start to introduce him first and it made sense to do that at a at, at a at a high interest point in the book which is why it happens on day six without giving too much away that left turn that you just mentioned elijah doesn't want Alyssa to be free because he wants a friend how does that follow on in your mind from when you're sat there while your son's at a chess tournament thinking about what would happen if if a child was taken where does that left turn because it could just be a fairly run-of-the-mill abduction story as you mentioned but that that curveball where does that come from in your imagination well i think that was that was the smashing together of the two ideas that was the the idea of an abduction from a chess tournament was the idea that came to me on the day that i was at the chess tournament and and at some point during the day, I thought, hang on, this is the story to put Elijah into, that guy that you've, you know, you've been thinking about. Um, and, and because I knew his character, it made sense in my head what would happen when the two of them met and how that would work. Um, and so, yeah, it was just that. I mean, that's, that, that's how it happened, I guess. It was just the fact that Elijah, I, I knew he would he would find this girl and he would almost think of her as his saviour um, because he's such a lonely individual and she would initially think of him as her saviour um, because he has the power to go and get help if he chooses and the interesting thing was how they would both be almost working together and pulling apart at the same time. It's amazing watching a writer desperately trying not to give too many spoilers away (laughs) whilst revealing the plot some of the way. Uh, Listen, you're talking about plotting earlier, that you don't really plot that much. Quite a pantser. Uh, How much do you know about the story before you do sit down to write? I like to have um, an (laughs) opening scene, and I I suppose I I think about things quite visually, and when I've... Once I feel like I've, I've seen that scene and... or or the first couple of scenes of the book very clearly in my mind then um and i know if i've got you know at least a possible destination not necessarily where the book will finish but this is a possible way it could end what i'd love to happen then is to think about all the things that happen in between and start plotting those out but actually what i tend to find is that as soon as i've got that that scene really visualized in my head and i've got a possible ending I just get really impatient and want to start because mm-hmm. I'm worried that actually the idea will go stale in my head if I don't start and, you know, I'll, I'll wait too long. And it's like 
kind of having a car revving, revving with its engine going. I just want to, to get on at some point and start doing it. Well, keeping on the theme of the car with that metaphor, when you are driving along the journey of this story, when do things become clear to you through the windscreen? What is, when do you know what's happening next? Uh, well, usually I'm, I know, I'm, I'm comfortable if I've got a few days of writing ahead of me where I know roughly where things are going. And what I tend to do is, you know, I'm, I'm writing... I'm writing during the day, but I think my, my subconscious is at the same time as I'm writing is starting things further down the line, is starting to become more clear. Um, and as long as I've got that um, kind of buffer of a couple of days in advance, then I'm, I'm generally happy. The, the, times that I, <coughs> the times that I start getting a little bit nervous are when that, that buffer is starting to reduce. And, you know, if it gets to zero and literally I'm writing and I don't know exactly what's happening. That's the point that I start thinking, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm nervous now. And maybe sometimes what I'll, I'll do in, when that does happen is just switch into an editing mode and go back, you know, a few chapters for a day or two and just keep, you know, just, just read back what I've, I've written. And, and usually that's enough again to, to kickstart my, my subconscious really to give me that thought of what's going to happen again and I, can, I, I go back and carry on. There's been times when I've thought to myself, do you know what, this would be, this would be a great twist or this mm. would be a brilliant thing to happen next. And then I thought, but it doesn't ring true with these characters. And so there were lots of things that got, I, I threw out, I've, I've thrown out of my writing because it, it hasn't felt authentic. And so, yeah, I, always character comes first for me. Um, I, you know, I've always said, you know, when I'm reading... Everyone likes a good twist in the book, actually, but I'll take great characters over a twist any day of the week because those are what stick with with me anyway. You know, um, there's you know characters I've met, um, and um, and so yeah, I, I tend to focus on character first and, and and plot second. But obviously, plots plots important. And the last question about the plot: when you said you went into this with a vague idea about the ending, when when did it become absolutely clear to you? This is how the story is going to finish. This is the end of Alyssa's tale. Um, about about halfway through, I'd, things started to solidify, but there were there were lots of there was still lots of room for for various things to happen. And I think it's only I probably only as I was approaching that final chapter did I really make final decisions about you know exactly what would happen in the end. And you know, without giving anything away, the, the, the last few chapters were actually quite harrowing to write because you know you you um the course of a about six months or so of writing the first draft i came incredibly close to, to to lots of the characters that i was writing about and so um it sometimes becomes hard to put them into to difficult and 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 fraught situations but that's something you've got to do really aside from how harrowing it is when you understand how this is going to end does it then make your job easier as a writer because there is a fixed point in mind does it does it make you telling the bits in the middle does it make that simpler um yes i think it does it's um it's an emotion it's actually an emotional experience i find coming coming to the end of a book and um and i guess that's how it should be because if you if if you want people to feel emotion for the characters that you've created then if you're not feeling emotion for them yourselves how can you expect anyone else to and actually you know these 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 two people 
felt real to me at, at the end and actually all the way through. And um, and so I, I want it, I want them to feel real to other people as well. And so it's, it feels only only right that it, I'm having an emotional reaction as I'm writing. You say that you do do quite a lot of editing every day. You know, you'll set aside time in the morning and the evening to do light edits. Um, how perfect does each word that you write need to be for you? Is it that do you hope that is the final word or is it just a case of getting them down? Um, in, in, in the first, as, I, as I'm writing, it's about getting the story down as quickly really as I possibly can. And, and then the edits that I'm doing um, as I'm going along are light touch edits and they are, they are word edits, but, um, which is what I tend to do for the first half an hour in the morning and I'll do a little bit in the evenings as well. But once I've finished, then I'll go through a, a much more rigorous edit and I'll do that several times and um, with with other books as well. I've, I've probably done so many edits by the time that any editor has seen it that I, you know, there's, there's been times when I've read... When I get to the point that I've read the book all the way through from beginning to end and I've changed three words and then on the next re- read through I'll change one of those words back to the original word it was I feel like this is this is done now this is done but then of course it goes to uh, the edit stage and, and it, it's not done but it's 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 done as far as I'm happy for someone to see it at that point your writing routine is one of of both forced uh both force sorry and thought of analysis um w- what would you like to tweak about it with the next few books that you write, what what do you think you could still change to make how you write your stories each day better? Well, I would love a space of my own to write. That would be fantastic, you know? I mean, I would love to not be mopping up milk every morning and, <laughs> and, 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 and pushing piles of paperwork away from the table to try and find myself a little space. But, you know, maybe that's a, a, a good thing anyway, really, to have, you know, that, that slight distraction. Um, and But really... As I was kind of saying earlier, my the, the thing I'm really trying to focus on is to improve my ability to not get distracted and and to really use every single minute I've got available to, to really focus on, on writing and actually um, blot everything out. And that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much for giving us a listen. A few things to just pick up on. Remember, you can get 20% off Scrivener, the most fantastic writing software that we've found. Uh, just use the code ROUTINE, R-O-U-T-I-N-E. Use it to get 20% off Scrivener 3 uh, when you check out over at literatureandlatte.com. You can also try it out on there as well. I think they give you a free trial just so you can get your head around some of the immense uh, features and brilliant writing tools that can help you tell your stories so there's that you can also support us on the patreon patreon.com forward slash writers routine anything that you give on there uh, is immensely gratefully received especially at this time uh, leave us a review on apple podcasts if you've not done that follow us on twitter there's a huge list isn't there follow us on twitter it's writers pod and remember those two books uh, that i told you about earlier their book releases were, were slightly dampened you had the man on the street by trevor wood and you also had all in her head uh, by nikki smith go and look those up help the writing community here on the show Uh, and i'll be back next week uh, with more we've got a psychological thriller on the show nell patterson she'll talk us through her debut Uh, that's next week on writer's routine i will see you then bye (laughs) 
Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.